Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. How many of y'all came this morning expecting something from the Lord? You know, I believe that the Lord gives to us according to our level of expectations. Where's our level of our expectation? And my prayer this morning is that as you come, you would be a participant, being able to enter in in faith, not just a spectator. It's so easy to be a spectator. Doesn't require very much. You just sit and you what? You, and you watch and you just receive. But someone that's a participant, you might say, well, I'm not up here on stage. I don't have anything to, real, real, uh, anything to add to the service. Yes, you do. You have your faith to add to it. You have something that God has given to you. And I know some of you are looking at me and saying, you know, why are you dressed like that, Franco? Because I like to remind, first of all, I kind of like this outfit. Number two, I like to remind myself every now and then that really we are in a war. We are in a war, and we are called not just to be the family of God, but also to be the army of God. Can I hear an amen? amen. We are in a battle for our culture. We are in a battle for ideas. We are in a battle for our families. If you haven't watched the news lately or know what's going on, uh, we are in a war like never before. We're in a war for truth. And, you know, I heard this years ago that, that there's a big difference between a what I call country club civilian and a real active service soldier. I've found across America especially a lot of country club civilians. They're civilians. Though they go to church, maybe read their Bible every now and then, they throw up a prayer, but really they're just civilians, haven't been activated into the army of God. How many of y'all this morning ready to be activated in the army of God? About five of y'all. How many of y'all ready to step into the battle? See, the battle's coming to you whether you want to step into it or not. It's no respecter of persons. There's no way somehow I'm going to have a firewall around me. I'm going to go to my end-time bunker and I'm going to be able to escape. Let me tell you what, the war is coming to you. Here's the difference between, just be able to start off right at the beginning. The difference I've found between a country club civilian and a real active service soldier. A country club civilian pursues common interests, but an active service soldier pursues common mission. Everybody say, pursues common mission. That's why I love about being part of The Rock. Pastor George, it's like what I've been attracted to, the leadership here, Pastor George and Suzanne, is that they are living on mission. Living on mission. But, you know, a country club civilian sees preparation as optional. I don't really have to be prepared. Bob, for, for, for what do I need to be prepared for? But an active service soldier sees preparation as a vital, non-negotiable. A country club civilian passes time leisurely, while a service soldier, an active service soldier, must be ready and alert at all times. A country club civilian 
comes and goes at will. You know what? I'll, I'll show up if I want. You know, it's a little too cold. Come on, Frankie, you didn't check the temperature this morning. It's 24 degrees. I don't need to come. They come and go at will. But how many of y'all know that if you're in the army, you can't just come and go at will? You'll be MIA or, or AWOL or, or, or something because you report daily to your commanding officer. How many of y'all believe Jesus is our commanding officer? Do you know it's impossible to say, no, sir? That's kind of what we call, like they say in Texas, that dog won't hunt. It's an oxymoron. You can say, no friend, Jesus, no pal. But if he is Lord, he is your commanding officer, you say what? Yes, sir. Y- yes, sir. Last thing, Country Club Civilian prioritizes comfort and convenience. Oh, it's a priority. They'll plan one year, of, one year in advance for their comfort and convenience. They're already talking about what they're going to be doing in the summer, already has their vacation. Nothing wrong with, with those things. But it's a priority to them. It's not something that's just, well, you know, after hard work, yeah, you have to have a little bit of leave time. They prioritize comfort and convenience. But an active service soldier prioritizes dedication service, and sacrifice. It got real quiet in here. Let me say it again. An active, not a weekend warrior, an active service soldier prioritizes it. Dedication, service, and sacrifice. Not too many of us really, we plan sacrifice. You know, if it happens, if I got to do it, I'll do it. But, but if you are really in the army of God, yes, we are family. I'll say it one more time. But the Lord has also called us to be soldiers. Matter of fact, Apostle Paul said, fight the good fight of faith as a good soldier. He uses military terms all throughout the New Testament. Then you prioritize dedication, service, and sacrifice. You know, Charles Spurgeon, considered by many one of the most effective preachers in the last 200 years, he said this. Church should be a camp of soldiers, not a hospital of invalids. The Lord gets his best soldiers out of the highlands of affliction. Let that sink in. The Lord gets his best soldiers out of the highlands of affliction. Maybe you've been through affliction recently. Maybe your whole life has been labeled one big affliction then that means you're called greater in the army of God. The greater the problem, the greater the promotion. That's just the way it is. Because pressure is always a process of preparation for promotion. A lot of people want promotion. Yes, I want to be an officer in the army of the Lord. Yes, I want great things to happen in my life, whether it's through business, through government, through education, through sports, through my family, through whatever it would be. Pressure. I don't know about that stuff. Affliction, you got to be joking. But he says, he says, the Lord gets his best soldiers out of the highlands of affliction. We ought to regard the Christian church not as a luxurious hotel where Christian gentlemen may each one dwell at his ease in his own inn, but as barracks in which soldiers are drilled and trained for war. Everybody say drilled and trained for war. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's stepping on your toes, but the Lord will heal them. 
Here in Matthew chapter 20, as we jump into this, Matthew chapter 20, and again, I want to thank the leadership and Pastor George for giving me the privilege to be here this morning and be able to minister, and I hope that you'll receive from the gifting that God has put in me. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 29. I want to talk to you this morning about the power of desperation, the power of desperation. I don't know what's ahead, but I do know that if we are not desperate for Jesus more than ever before, desperate for his help, desperate for his covering, desperate that he would be our leader, we're going to miss it. The power of desperation. Matthew chapter 20 Beginning in verse 29, as Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed behind two blind men were sitting beside the road. When they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they got real quiet and said a a silent prayer, if it be your will, Lord. No, they began shouting. How many of y'all know it's all right to shout in church every now and then? I mean, if you came from the first church of the open frigid air, you don't like this stuff, but it's in the Bible. They began shouting, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Be quiet, the crowd yelled at them. We don't talk like that in church. Come on, it's in the Bible somewhere. You know, you're supposed to keep reverently silent. Yeah, in the book of hesitations, but not in my Bible. Yeah, there's a time, yes, we believe a time to be quiet. But when Jesus is passing by, they saw it as this might be my only opportunity passing by. God himself in human form. Imagine yourself being blind your whole life. And you hear about the miracle maker passing by. You have a split decision to make. Be quiet or or be desperate. They were desperate. The crowd tried to quiet them down. And you know what? You're always going to have someone that's going to come along to try to convince you out of your miracle. They're going to try talking you out of it. Well, maybe it's not God's will for you. Maybe that's for somebody else. God, you, you weren't born under the lucky star. I'll bless him and I'll bless her, but I don't know about you. You came from the wrong town, Perry, Florida, or wherever. No, no, no. Our God doesn't do that. He is no respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of faith. And these men had some faith on them, but they only, what does it say? When, they, when the crowd told them to shut up, they got more desperate, but they only shouted louder. They shouted louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. When Jesus heard them, he stopped. How do you get Jesus to stop? How do you get him to stop? I mean, as busy as he is, faith will get Jesus to stop. Faith will pull on Jesus. A lot of people received a miracle when Jesus walked the earth. Well, also a lot of other folk didn't receive diddly, like we say. They didn't receive anything. But you get Jesus to stop when you're not going to take no for an answer. There's an audacity about you and the faith that God has put in you, and you begin to shout louder, I will not take no for an answer. I will not quit. I will not give up. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Hello? Hello? Don't you see that we're blind? 
He wanted to see where their level of faith was. If they would have said, you know what, we, we just want to, don't you know we're kind of been here on the side of the road? We just need some food. Jesus would have taken them right at their faith. All right, we got a food bank up here, we'll help you. If they had said, hey, we're stuck outside here in the elements. It's been getting cold in the evening. We need a shelter. Okay, we've got, we'll, we'll help you out there. If they would have said, we just want 20, uh, you know, somehow maybe 2040 vision. We got the big, you know, Coke bottle type thing, you know, <laughs> to where whatever. He would have taken my faith. But they said, no, no, we've got to see. How many of y'all are that desperate to see this morning? To see spiritually. He said, they said, we want to see. Everybody said together, I want to see. Jesus felt sorry for them. One translation says he had compassion for them. Our God's a compassionate God. He's not holding out on us. He's really not. But he works through laws. You have laws of physics, the law of gravity. I don't believe in the law of gravity. I don't like the law of gravity. I like that old song, you know, I believe I can fly. But guess what? The law of gravity is, you jump off this building, you're not going to break the law. Sooner or later, the law of gravity is going to break you. It's the same way he has spiritual laws he works through. And one of them is called the law of faith. Everybody say the law of faith. The law of faith. I've never met so many unbelieving believers as I have since this pandemic hit. Oh, they're believers in Jesus, but they're unbelievers in his miracles and his promises, and that he really does answer prayer. So he wanted to see where their faith was. Jesus felt sorry for them, touched their eyes instantly. They could see, then they followed him. You know, God has used this pandemic to reveal four categories of people that, I, that I've come up with. Number one, to reveal who are the real believers, who are the unbelievers, who are the make-believers, <laughs> there's make-believers. You know, it's kind of like, you know, where I grew up with, if you couldn't get the genuine of a watch or shoes or something, those shoes weren't real leather. They called it pleather. Pleather. It's kind of that mixture of plastic and leather, and it kind of has the look, but, but, but it's make-believe. And then you have number four, unbelieving believers. These last two years expose what's really in people's hearts. I don't believe it created what's coming out of people. It just revealed it. It just revealed it. I mean, these last few years with the, the you know, shutdowns and quarantine, and let me just let you hear a, a, a friend, a friend and what, how he chose to handle it when the quarantine hit. Let's play it. Because of coronavirus, you are going to be quarantined, but you have a choice. Do you, A, Quarantine with your wife and child, or B? B. 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 That was a lot of us. B, before we even hear what that option is. You know, I found myself responding in one of three ways when the ugly inside of me was revealed these last few years. Again, I believe the Lord used this. It wasn't like it caught him, off, caught him by surprise, this pandemic. But I believe he used it to reveal the ugly on the inside that we didn't know was there. He knew it was there. Our wife knew it was there. Our children knew it was there. But we didn't know it was there. 
And neither number one, what, when, when it came out, attitudes, pride, fear, insecurities, comparisons, offenses, anger, rage, whatever it would be, fill in the blanks. Either number one, we, and, and let me just repeat myself, it did not create it. It did not create it. You know, I, I, if I shake this bottle, take the top off, I shake it, and if no water's in it, nothing's going to come out. But if I shake it a little bit harder, and there's water, what's going to come out? The shaking didn't create the water. The shaking did what? Come on, some of y'all real quiet on me this morning. It revealed what was on the inside. So either number one, people were in denial. No, I don't have an anger problem. Everybody can see it. You don't see the back of your head this morning. You should have. You would have combed that nap a little bit better back there. Everybody could see the blind spots in, in my life except for me. You're in denial. And you, or number two, you make the blame game. Well, if it wasn't for my wife, I wouldn't, wouldn't be this way. If it wasn't for my boss not giving me the raise and blaming it on, on the government. If it wasn't for my coach, I would be playing. Hey, buddy, you know, the Bible says all hard work leads to profit. Mere talk leads to poverty. You have poverty playing time because you're just talk. But it's easy. All of a sudden, the Lord, he, things start to change a little bit here when you start... But you blame, you're blaming everybody else. Or number three, you take responsibility. Everybody say take responsibility. You humble yourself. Say, Lord, I, I didn't know that chunk was in there. And he gives you a chance to repeat second grade. It's like, remember that movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger had to go back to elementary school? It's not like the state of Florida, you know, no child left behind. Let's get him out of here, move him on. No, the Lord will keep us in second, third grade, third grade. He wants to promote us. He's got greater things for us, but he'll keep us there until we're ready to move on. How many of you have ever been desperate? I mean, really desperate in life for, for something, desperate. I'm talking about really, really desperate. I remember a time years ago, our children were little, our five children, and and we were moving from Florida to, to Tennessee. So we're dragging everything in the kitchen sink along with us, piled this U-Haul, filled it up, pulling one of the cars behind. And my wife, Mary Lou, was, was driving one of the other cars. So we divided up the children and had a couple of them here. And everybody wanted to be with Daddy in the U-Haul and, you know, there and, you know, driving this thing. And I don't know about you, but... Bathroom breaks every 30 minutes is not my kind of thing. <laughs> it's not my thing. My objective is to arrive. Everybody say arrive. arrive. Get to the destination. Seemed like my family's objectives were enjoy the sight, the process. Just kind of, you know, enjoy it along. The souvenir shops along the way. So I remember one time, here was another bathroom break. I said, no. Okay, we're going to pull into this thing. It's not a gas break. It means you go in and you come out. I'm not filling up with gas. We already did that 30 minutes ago. And we're going to coordinate it. Everybody's going to use the bathroom whether you want to or not. 
But then we go, we go into this place, and, and I don't know if you've seen these, these gas station convenience stores that, that kind of like Toys R Us. They got every trinket in there. They got all kinds. They got, you know, stuffed little gators, which is, I mean, it's amazing to me. Then they got over here jelly beans and pecan rolls and shrunken voodoo heads. And, I mean, <laughs> I mean they got everything. I'd, I'd, I'd be fascinated if I was a little kid at that kind of. And my favorite is when they have a, these T-shirts, half orange and blue and half garnet and gold. My son graduated from Florida State. My daughter from University of Florida. Those are always interesting. So we get back, and I get back in the U-Haul, and uh, my wife gets in the car, and we, we take off, and we're 15, 20 minutes down the road, and I'm saying, uh, you know, we're talking and stuff, and she's asked me, uh, so Frankie's with you, right? No, no, no. Frankie said that he was going to ride with you. No, no, no. You were responsible for him, Franco. Yeah, but he told me in between the voodoo head and the rubber snake in the, in the play, desperation set in all of a sudden. I mean, he's only like five years old. And we desperately, and it was one of those stretches, y'all know what I'm talking about, one of those stretches where there's not an exit for, you know, they're saying, you know, official use only if you try cutting across. Well, I'm, I'm, this is official. Official, <laughs> official desperation was going on here. So we get there, and everything in me wants to just grab my son. What are you doing? And everything that we had told him not to eat, and no, you can't have this kind of, they're just feeding him, and he's on the counter having the greatest time at all <laughs> in the world. But we were desperate, desperate. You know, there's five types of Jesus followers revealed during this pandemic, I've noticed. Five types. You're taking notes. Number one, number one, those that are enamored with Jesus as an enamored Jesus follower. They admire him, but no real allegiance to him. Kind of like Mark chapter 1, verse 27. Well, first of all, enamored, you know, you look at the definition of it, it means strong feelings of love admiration, or fascination. People that aren't really desperate for him, they just enamored, they have strong feelings of love, they admire him, they're fascinated with him. Mark chapter 1, verse 27, 28, it says this. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with what authority? They're talking about Jesus. And even gives, he even gives orders to impure spirits. In other words, demons, they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Jesus was trending. He was getting two thumbs up everywhere. He, the knowledge of him was going viral. It says, yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. You know, I was reading yesterday that it goes on the next verse. We don't have it up there, but it says, For they love the approval of men more than the approval of God. These are people just enamored with him. Ezekiel 33, 32 talks about, it says, You are very entertaining to them. Like someone who sings a love song 
with a beautiful voice like Pastor Jamie or plays fine music on an instrument. Didn't say that, but you can see it. Fine music on it. They hear what you say, but they don't act on it. Everybody say they don't act on it. So this is the first category of those that I believe this pandemic has exposed, those that are just kind of enamored with Jesus. Yeah, I choose Jesus over Buddha, Muhammad, Krishna, Beyonce, Jay-Z. Yeah, but I, I, I want a God that's manageable, one that I can control. How many of y'all know our culture loves a God they can manipulate according to their own likes and dislikes? Jesus, bless me. Yes, loves me. Check. God loves me. Yes, yes, absolutely. I love that kind of God. He loves me. Check. Uh, God wants exclusive rights in my life. No, 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 no. Uh Uh-uh. They want to be able to manage him. Second type of, of Jesus follower that's been revealed during this pandemic is that they like Jesus, but they don't love him. They like him, but they don't love him. You know, I found out real quick that when my two sons were being recruited in football out of high school on the college level, I was, someone told me, you need to ask the coach, do you like my son or do you love him? Because y'all know anything about recruiting is a bit world of difference between liking and keeping them on the line and someone that they really love. Like means uh, to regard with favor, have a kindly or friendly feeling for a person or group they find attractive, kind of like a what I call a hobby. Jesus is more of a hobby, an activity done regularly. In, in your leisure time for pleasure, a sideline interest, using or requiring little or no preparation or real commitment. Matter of fact, a lot of hobbies, people give it a whole lot more commitment than they do with their, their journey with Jesus. I know people wake up at 4.30 in the morning, they're getting their gun ready for hunting, and they're just checking it out. They've been reading the weather report. They've been watching the videos. Or you're going to go fishing, and boy, you're, you got your boat two days earlier. You're making sure it's going to run right. You're putting more dedication into things than the thing giver. Matthew 15.8. Matthew 15.8 says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts... Or what? Far from me. I was in the gym the other day and they had up on the screen, come to Vegas, 50th anniversary of the Doobie Brothers. The only thing I remember when I was a little, when I was much younger, the Doobie Brothers, they sang that song, Jesus is just all right with me. Yeah, but are you all right with Jesus? That's the question. They liked, oh, they liked Jesus. That was during the Jesus movement. Everybody liked Jesus. But did they really love him? People that like to date Jesus, but they don't want to marry him. Come on, come on. Luke 6, 46, Jesus says this. So why do you keep calling me? They keep. In other words, this is a person. They can't just, they, they, they're, they're, it's continuous. Continuously to like him. They want a long engagement, but they never go forward with it. They keep calling me, Lord, Lord. When you don't do what I say. In other words, lordship and obedience are an option to a like follower of Jesus. 
It's, it, it's optional. But do you know that every act of disobedience brings you one step further away from what God has for you? Every step of obedience brings you one step closer to God and his destiny for your life. Jesus is not after our votes. He really isn't. He's after your heart. He's not after two thumbs up. Oh, I'm great. I'm winning this popularity contest against these, all these other false gods that are out there. Do you serve him as a project or do you serve him for his presence? That's the big question. Number three, the third type of Jesus follower that's been exposed is they love Jesus, but just part-time lover. Just part-time lover. And I ask you, what if your spouse found out you were a part-time lover? How would he or she feel? Sounds like a country song, doesn't it? Part-time lover. Part-time means involved or working less than customary or standard. Sounds like a lot of full-time full -time employed people. <laughs> They're only working part-time, but they're getting paid full-time. Luke 9, 57 through 62 says this, Luke 9, 57 through 62, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I, I, I'll follow you. I want to be a Jesus follower. I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus began to test him. Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes, the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. Imagine if Jesus personally picked you out of the crowd and he said, follow me. Wow, that's what he did with this guy. It was a personal invitation. A letter of intent being extended. But he said, Lord, permit me first. That's a part-time lover. There's always, Let me first do my own thing, and then I will serve you when I want to. I want, you know what? It's kind of like friends with benefits. I want all your benefits that you would give to me, but I, I, I don't want to give you my whole heart. I don't want to give you everything. It's actually goes on to talk about, it says, another one, he said, another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first, there it is again, to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead, in other words, spiritually dead, let, let them bury their own dead, but it's for you. Go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first. There you see it again. See, Jesus doesn't want us to dishonor our parents or not, be kind to people, but he was testing them. Everything else would have worked out. And Jesus said, after you put your hands to the plow and you look back, you're not really fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, I, I see people that, it's what's, what is the least I can do and still call myself a Christian? Can I go this far and call myself a Christian? Jesus, oh, okay, okay. Can I go this far and call myself, oh, okay. It's like the guy that's heard a story about this this owner of a trucking industry was going to hire someone first time on the job, and he was testing out actually different people to see who he was going to hire. First guy came in and says, look, I'm the best truck driver. This side of the Smokies, I could drive your trucks. And I, he, he said, I'll drive your trucks, and I'll bring them two feet from the edge of the cliff without going over. The boss said, hmm, let's see about that. So they hop in the rig, and sure enough, he brings them two feet from the edge without going over. Second guy wanted the job. I mean, he's paying big money. 
He said, look, I'm the one you need to hire. I'm the best truck driver this side of the Smokies. He said, I'll drive your trucks. I can bring them two inches from the edge of the cliff without going over. Wow. Boss man said, let's see about that. Sure enough, they bring it right along the edge. I'd be closing my eye. They bring it right along the edge of the cliff without going over. But the third guy came in. You know what he said. I'm the best truck driver this side of the Smokies. I'll drive your trucks, and I'll keep them 20 yards from the edge of the cliff. The boss said, you're hired. Because anybody's going to drive my trucks, I don't want to see how close they can get. I want to see how far they can stay away. There's a lot of people trying to see how close they can get to sin, part-time lover. But if you really love someone, it's how far can I, just in case this offends Jesus. Just in case I, 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 I keep the, 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 the cap of the toothpaste off one too many times. If it offends my wife, I don't do any. Hello? They love Jesus, but just part. They fall in and fall out of love. They give Jesus visit, weekend visitation rights while he wants full custody. Fan. Oh, a fan, but not a follower. One of the last times I spoke at the Saints, uh, New Orleans Saints chapel service, they were playing against my hometown team, the Buccaneers, so my, and my dad and my brother's all upset with me. Man, you better tone it down and not get them too fired up. And <laughs> So I show up there. It's a Saturday night. They're in the big five-star hotel there on the water, and uh, they bring me in through a VIP entrance to get there, and, and I look outside, and there are hundreds of people outside behind a barricade. And I asked the, the attendant, I said, who are these people? They're all in saints' outfits, but they're in Tampa. And uh, they said, oh, these are real followers of the saints. They're not just fans. They're, they travel all over the country, stay in hotel just to get a glimpse of, of one of their starstruck and damn, they just want to be able to look at them. I said, really? And I see a lot of people, they're fans of Jesus, but they're not real followers. They wear the uniform. But they're not on Team Jesus. They follow Jesus as long as it's convenient. You see, many people are into convenience. Our God is into covenant. Many want an, an, an elusive relationship with Jesus. Well, he wants an exclusive relationship with you. One of my favorite presidents, the 26th president of the United States, Teddy Roosevelt, he said this, and way back in the early 1900s, I believe he prophetically said it. He said, the things that will destroy America are prosperity at any price, peace at any price, safety first instead of duty first, the love of soft living, and the get-rich-quick theory of life. All the benefits without the commitment. Jesus is, you know, it's almost like one party is seeking love, that's Jesus. The other is seeking just use. When I need you, I'll call on you. When I'm done with you, Jesus, I send you back into the bullpen of obscurity. I don't, don't need you anymore. It really boils down to that we're going to plant in our lives one of two gardens. Either number one, the Garden of Eden not your will, my will be done. That was the Garden of Eden. Or number two, the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, your will be done. You know, everyone starts off, we all start off on our journey disagreeing with God. Everybody does. 
But progress is we start agreeing with them and disagreeing with, with ourselves. So a lot of people love Jesus. They, he, they love his body, meaning the church. And get business contacts there. There's a support group for my bad habits. I mean, nice people and everything. But they don't love the head. They want the body. They want, oh, this, this, is, this is great. Look at the people around you. They're smiling. They look good. They smell good, hopefully. They, I mean, it, a lot of people want this, but, 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 but are you committed to the, to the head, Jesus, everything, everything in you? Number four, as we begin to close, fourth type of, of Jesus follower, this is pandemic, it is exposed, is a passionate follower of Jesus. Can I hear an amen? amen. Passionate is one, it means, it means having or compelled by or ruled by intense emotion or strong feelings, fervency that drives you to a committed action, belief, or lifestyle. Mark 10, 28. Here you see Mark 10, 28. Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you. And everything meant everything. They literally dropped everything and passionately ran after Jesus. My question this morning is, are you... Do you seek the hand of Jesus or do you seek his face? A lot of people are just looking for the hand of Jesus. What can, my name is Jimmy. Jimmy, I take all you want to give me. Just the hand, hand of Jesus to be, be blessed. But a passionate follower is going after his face. Lord, I want intimacy with you. Lord, I want everything that you have. Everything that you have. How do you know if you really are a passionate follower of Jesus? I ask myself often this question. Lord, is it I? Am I the one that's betraying you? Am I not? Maybe, Lord, have I lost some of the fire in me? I mean, what? How do, how do you know? He, he allows you to go through tests. Why do teachers give you tests to see where you are? He allows, the Bible says he tests the hearts and feelings of mankind. Here you see in John chapter 14, here's the litmus test for a real Jesus lover. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. All who love me will do. Everybody say do. do. Not think about, not mental assent. Will do what I say. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. You know, many Christians felt strongly rebuked many years ago when Billy Graham, before he passed away, read for the first time a letter that was written by an American college student that went to study in Mexico, and he's writing this letter back to his fiance of why he must break up his engagement because he had become, been converted to communism. He, he said this, the letter, We communists have a high casualty rate. We're the ones who get slandered and ridiculed and fired from our jobs and in every other way made as uncomfortable as possible. A certain percentage of us get killed or imprisoned. We live in virtual poverty. We turn back to the party every penny. We make above what is absolutely necessary to keep us alive. We communists don't have time or the money for many movies or concerts or T-bone steaks or decent homes or new cars. We've been described as fanatics. We are fanatics. Our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for world communism. We communists have a philosophy of life which no amount of money could buy. We have a cause to fight for, a definite purpose in life. We subordinate our petty personal selves into a great movement of humanity. 
And if our personal lives seem hard or our egos appear to suffer through subordination to the party, then we are adequately compensated by the fact that each of us in a small way is contributing to something new and true and better for mankind. The communist causes my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife and mistress, my bread and meat. I work at it, at it in the daytime and dream of it at night. Its hold on me grows, not lessens as time goes on. Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating it to this force which both guides and drives my life. I evaluate people, books, ideas, and actions according to how they affect the communist cause and by their attitudes toward it. I've already been in jail because of my ideas. And if necessary, I'm ready to go before a firing squad. My question, my question to you and to me is if communists can be this devoted, it's not just communists now. You've got militant Muslims and others around the world that, that want world domination. They want to take territory for their false cause. But if they could be this committed to their cause, how much more should we for truth to our Lord Jesus Christ who gave everything for us? Amen? And the last one, number five. Number five, the fifth type of follower of Jesus is a desperate follower of Jesus. A desperate. Mark 4, 19 through 20 says this. 4, 19 through 20. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once. Everybody say at once. One translation says immediately and followed him. They dropped everything. Desperate means showing extreme urgency or intensity, especially because of great need or desire. Imperative, requiring attention or action. Let me show you a clip that shows what desperate is from the series the Chosen. Let's play it. Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. Uh, I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right. Your word. Push, 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 push
brother and the baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long. We believe, but my faith, how sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. <laughs> what do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. Close your eyes right where you are. Nobody looking around. But for the audience of one. You know, if we don't want to experience God's closeness here on earth in our daily lives, why would we even want to go to heaven where He is the center of everything? We're going to sing one more song and I believe this would be a song of surrender. If you've been enamored with Jesus, but not passionate for him, there's things he put his finger on in your life that said, this is why you're not a true follower of mine. And the Bible says to repent. That simply means change the way you're thinking, change what you're doing, turn around. It's not a 360, it's a 180. Maybe you really like Jesus, but you found today that I don't, I don't love him. Lord, today I want to move from liking you to truly, really loving you. Matter of fact, Jesus said you could sum up the whole Bible in one passage. 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and have no other gods before him, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Oh Lord, may we love you with everything. May we even move from loving you part-time to being a passionate follower of Jesus and then being a desperate follower, desperate for you every day, desperate, whether there's a lot in the bank account or little, whether we're promoted or not, whether we're rich or poor, for better or for worse, in sickness or in health, we would desperately follow you for worthy is the lamb to receive the glory to his sufferings. So may this be your prayer this morning. In this place, do business with Jesus. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.